It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of American Loser. It is the podcast that puts the spotlight firmly on second place. We are here at a very, very warm Red Bank studio, okay? (laughs) I don't know if Ming's up in Canada and forgot to pay the utility bill here. It's a little warm, okay? We're going to be sweating, fellas, okay? I've been in here for almost three hours and ain't that bad. Stop being a baby. Yeah, Kahuna is <laughs> for for everyone who wants to know, Kahuna is spread eagle on his chair right now, just man spreading like crazy. Oh god damn it. <laughs> uh, and spreading, mansplaining. Oh, it's half the oh, battle. It's our man. whole show. It kinda is. It's the uh be mansplain history. Yeah. <laughs> the boys out. I really do, don't I? God damn it. That might be actually what it is. I try to uh I dumb splain is what I think I do. <laughs> <laughs> I try to make things so simple. I was like, here, I am not a smart person. Here's but no, that's I learned things. Listen, you got to break it down for for people like me who's just like, oh, they go there and there and then do bad thing. Perfect. <laughs> Across the whole spectrum, we yeah, cover it all. Pretty much. As uh, our friend, um, uh, we got so many great listeners too. So I always feel like I'm 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 not playing favorites with the shout outs. I'm just talking to the good people here. Um, our friend uh, Chelsea Pinnell, she's got uh, she wrote a, a nice tweet today, and she just goes. Uh, it was another podcast that I won't mention, and then uh, ours. And she goes, between these two podcasts, I've learned so much. I might not be dumb anymore. <laughs> so that's what we're trying to. That's the whole vibe of the show. You if it's your first episode, we do put the spotlight firmly on second place. Try to cast. Oh, you the light said on the thing. Stuff. First time oh, yeah. in a while, you said the thing. The firmly on second yeah. place. Yeah, we should have a little button that goes off. <laughs> but we are live at a shared universe podcast studio in Red Bank, New Jersey, where Mike and Ming are taking great care of us. The Kahuna's behind the ones and twos. You guys already know that voice. What's up, Lawrence Patrick Burke, my Delph of a father? How are you today? Oh, we're just doing great, Kev. It's great. It's a beautiful day here in uh, sunlit New Jersey. Another day, another term paper. It's uh, uh, he ain't it. wrong. He ain't wrong. He folks. ain't wrong. Um, <laughs> But uh, real quick, first and uh, foremost, I'll get these announcements out of the way. Uh, you guys know the deal. All right. Uh, this episode's coming out realistically tonight, Coons, or tomorrow. You can tell me either or. Tomorrow. Tonight. Tonight, you're the best. Tonight. All right. So that means that uh, you guys still have time. If you wanted to, and you live in the North Jersey area, okay, you can come down to the Dojo of Comedy, Tiff's and Morris Plains. All right. An awesome room run by the great Mike Romanelli and uh, Sam Tripoli. And they're letting me uh, throw myself a little party here. It's my cotillion, folks. All right. The album is coming out. That's May 21st. You can buy tickets online at Tiff's Comedy. Okay. Just check it out. Search KP Burke, Dojo Comedy. It should all pop up. We sold a bunch of tickets already. I'm okay with selling more. Okay. If we can (laughs) – I don't want to jinx myself and say I want to sell out. Okay. But we could do some pretty cool shit here. I got a great lineup on the show too. Uh, I got a bunch of friends of mine that are coming through to open. A bunch of them have been guests on this very show before. And uh, it's going to be a good one, all right? So I'm excited about that part. And, of course, that is uh, all uh, lead up to the album coming out, which uh, Kahuna uh, filmed, edited, directed, almost written. You know? <laughs> 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 no, I did the writing no, you on did that. the writing part. <laughs> but Escape from Jacksonville will be out on YouTube, released by the Laugh Button, folks. That is going to be on the 24th. I don't know what time of day it's going to be there. 
But as soon as that links up, you better believe my ass is going to be on my phone tagging it <laughs> on my Twitter at KP Burke sucks, Instagram at KP Burke sucks, KP Burke over on Facebook. I even have a TikTok now, folks. Okay, we're going to be putting out clips, everything possible here. I'm excited about it. This is about 10 years worth of hard work. I'm very proud of it. I think it's good. And you'll hear me more in a couple other podcasts and promoting the shit out of this thing as it goes. So I have no other gigs to plug right now. That's my entire focus, Dad. That's my it. That's focus. enough. That's enough. I mean, be there or be square. It's going to be a it's going to be a gooder. But Dad, You're if. coming out party. Yeah, my cotillion, as we were saying. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Got a frilly dress all picked out for yeah, you. Yeah. He's yeah. ready to go. Or maybe a frilly kilt for we'll, something. We'll whatever. Do a kilt. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll say this one, Dad. If. If the good people who listen to this very show, uh, who, by the way, the numbers are – it keeps going up. So I keep wanting to quit the show and you guys won't let me. I keep trying to say we had a great run and then it gets better. Yeah, there you so go. We, uh, we cannot um, uh, thank you enough. But if you wanted to go a little bit further, folks, for as little as $3 a month, you can join the Patreon and get your exclusive bonus fourth episode free. We give you three free episodes a month. OK? And the fourth one, well, if you break it down for the $3 a month, that's less than a dollar an episode. OK? And I'm giving you at least an hour of good content here. And we bought some cold brews today. That's why I'm talking so fast. Um, and it's good shit, okay? And also, we got to take care of the kahuna. We got to grease a little bit for Ming. You know, Dad, it's a little bit like the mob around here, isn't it? Yeah, it's got to. Everybody's got to dip their beak in the, you know, in the vig or whatever yeah. you want to call it. See, we're good earners. <laughs> we're good earners, but we got to cough up a little bit over to Ming, and then Ming's got to cough a little bit up to Kahuna. This is the Kahuna Crime Syndicate. Uh, <laughs> Shh. Well, that leads us into a very, very good episode topic, Cones. Wait, what? I'm excited about this. Oh, okay. See, this is how I know it's a good episode when the joke is a great lead-in for the subject. <laughs> All right. There let me, let me settle the microphone on my gut. Well, as you guys know. Close my lap. We like to put the spot <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> we here like to put the spotlight firmly on second place. There it is. Ooh, bell ringer. Ah. <laughs> uh, that's going to be like a training thing from now on. So like every time I hear that bell, it's going to be like, oh, he said it. No, he didn't. <laughs> the Pavlov's dog of podcasts. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so second place. What loser are we talking about today? Well, Cahoons, when we think about organized crime in New York, immediately you typically think about maybe the Italian mafia, maybe the Frank Lucas story from American Gangster. Mm -hmm. Okay. It, it's typically – um, very profitable, almost a luxurious thing, almost a borderline celebrity. There's a, an element of success to the top of the chain here. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's Italian men in suits and limousines, maybe a drug kingpin who was operating out of his old New York neighborhood that now bought a giant mansion on a different part of town. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff going on there. Crime pays yeah. for a while. Just never make it happen where you live and eat. That's typically how it works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of the last things you would picture though would be uh, a small but fearsome gang of mostly Irish guys whose behavior would seem more at place in an old honky-tonk in the Wild West, in a time when you could still live in Manhattan and be poor. Okay. Oh, wow. So this is a long, long time ago <laughs> in, a, in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, not that not long ago. Not as far as you think. <laughs> It's. I'll tell you. Is what. this one of those ones where like we got to be careful because there might still be some lingering? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. When, not, I, people, when I when I tell you that he looked at me with fear in his eyes when he said that too. Yeah. It, yeah. Okay. Now you're I still, know. You're still paying respect here. Okay. If not for the the originals, at least the second generation. So. All right. It's one of those. All right. I'm ready for this one. Well, almost like a. Uh, this gang kind of serves as a blue-collar juxtaposition of the 
well-dressed, cultured La Cosa Nostra. You know what I mean? Uh, sopranos, Godfather, Goodfellow. I was like, you can't, you can't say a big word like La Cosa and expect me to know it. Oh, but that's actually – that's the root of all of this, La Cosa Nostra. That, that's the um, uh, pretty much Lucky Luciano and the boys bringing that idea from uh, the old country over here to America. Oh, OK. You know, it was uh, – to quote God uh, – to quote Goodfellas rather, it was uh, it was the police for the people who couldn't go to the police. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. it was just a social club. Come on, Kev. <laughs> it's a stereotype. Yeah. This thing that we got here that we don't talk about. Exactly. There's um, no such thing as the mafia. Now, Cahoon is originally from uh, uh, you know, North Jersey, right? Uh, my father and I both grew up in North Jersey. Okay. We now live in the nicer part uh, down south. Okay. It's um, – there's some backyard stuff that goes on with this one here, but uh, I'll tell you what. We're going to set it up here. The people already know the title of, uh, of this one. They know the topic, I should say, based off the title. Though the gang never called themselves the Westies, it was the name for those outside of the gang. It was how they referred to them. So they ran Hell's Kitchen back before it became quite so gentrified. Hell's Kitchen was a very, very tough spot and full of the last few generations of working class Irish Americans. These people worked hard to get things done. Even their criminal element knew the value of hard work, which is why between the years 1968 and 1986, the gang known as the Westies are considered responsible for 60 to 100 murders. Not bad when you adjust the numbers and realize if you, you know, put the numbers in for inflation, um, at no time was the gang ever bigger than 20 people. That's a, that's a pretty good uh, batting average. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a pretty good batting average. Yeah. We, uh, our team hit uh, uh, 60 to 100 home runs and we only had 20 players. Uh, oh, OK. <laughs> 20 <laughs> people. Short-staffed, but uh, they were uh, they were good at what they did. And 20 was uh, – Short-staffed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, oh, man. That's saying it lightly. Yeah. And I think, Kev, too, uh, you know, when we sell, say Hell's Kitchen. Um, there's a reason the, it's called for that. the Westies. Yeah, there's a reason for that. And but um, it's got a long history in itself just with with that name. But um, for those listeners who might be outside of the uh, New York, New Jersey, uh, greater metropolitan area, they might South. not realize where exactly Hell's Kitchen is. But it's the the west side of Manhattan, the, the central west side of Manhattan. So next time uh, if you happen to be traveling into uh, New York City, the Big Apple, when you arrive at the Port Authority bus terminal on 42nd Street, you're in Hell's Kitchen. Uh, um, for Is those the young KP Burke getting off the bus about to go perform a comedy show <laughs> and then, for no money, and then, <laughs> and then walk over to the to the gig. Yeah, and then uh, you know, for those uh, who might be a little old, well, from my generation, if you remember Studio 54, guess what? That's Hell's Kitchen. Um, for the Seinfeld fans, uh, the, the original soup stand from the Soup Nazi episode, uh, that was Hell's Kitchen. Hearst Tower, the Time Warner Center, the Hudson Hotel, Mount Sinai West, um, uh, Pennsylvania Station, the Javits Convention Center. Oh, I feel you know, like we're going to talk about that more in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the the, the uh the boundary line, if you really will, well, it kind of ends at the Hudson River, but uh, pretty much Sixth, uh, Seventh Avenue, and points west in, in Central Manhattan. We're talking about Hell's Kitchen. I believe for comic book fans, and I, I'm not—I have respect for comic book uh, knowledge and fans and stuff like that. Um, 
But I think that's where Daredevil is from, right, Coons? And just like that, KP Burke is paying extra to record here at a Shared Universe podcast. Am I wrong? No, I'm just fucking with you. I thought I was right. (laughs) (laughs) Nah, I think I believe you're right. It is Hell's Kitchen, but I mean, is this also gonna? So, what is our time period again? What like? Uh, I'll set that one up because it's uh it's pretty. If good. you say it's, the nineties, I'm gonna like be really, really upset. Well, I'll tell you what. My fascination with this particular um, gang comes from a movie that came out six months before Goodfellas, called State of Grace, starring Sean Penn, uh, Ed Harris in one of his most evil roles, and Gary Oldman in my favorite Gary Oldman role of all time. Okay. So, more on that here in a second. But this story, t- it's over the course of. Um, uh, a couple of decades, okay? There's the um, the rising action, if you will, and then there's the climatic action, and then there's the pure fucking chaos, which is coming. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So. Um, yeah, but I mean, Hell's Kitchen uh, first really got its name way back when in the 18, like 1880s kind of a thing. And uh, there was- This is uh, pretty good. <laughs> there was a lot of different um, uh, ideas as to where the name actually came from, one of which goes all the way back to- uh, uh, Davy Crockett. So, I mean, we're going back to 1835 kind of a thing that Davy Crockett is visiting Manhattan. And there's another little neighborhood just a little south of that called Five Points. If you saw the gangs of New York, that's Five, you know points. five points. That's yeah. Five Points. Well, um, Davy Crockett um, said Which is that, Chinatown now, by the way. Uh, in my part of the country, Davy was quoted as saying, in my part of the country, when you meet an Irishman, you find the first rate gentleman. But these are the worst than savages. They are too mean to swab hell's kitchen. So that was one idea as to where the idea Whoa. of the name of the area it's came Davey from. Davy Crockett, government official Davy Crockett. Was he a senator? I can't remember. Does Congressman. Congressman. Congressman Crockett on a visit to Five Points just goes, what the hell am I seeing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Davy Crockett so, also yeah. Your, your pockets hell are interesting because there's always um, – you got the, the New York Irish or, or these are these are mean blue-collar people. The, the, the I would say there's an, a kinship but also a mutual hatred of maybe like uh, Irish in Southie Boston to give people an idea. More people seem to know Southie than old school Hell's Kitchen because obviously Hell's Kitchen has gotten super gentrified. More on that in a second. Yeah, and then another version of where it got its name was uh, – and this seems to be a more common uh, reference to it that there was a cop whose nickname was Dutch Fred. So we have Dutch Fred the cop uh, who's a veteran policeman and he's out – uh, one time with his rookie partner and they were watching a small riot on uh, West 39th Street near 10th Avenue. Um, and the rookie is supposed to have said, this place is hell itself, to which Fred replied, hell's a mild climate. This is hell's kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's got a long uh, a long history of not being the, uh, the most friendly, uh, you know, neighborhood uh, that you're not out walking your – your Shih Tzu dog. Uh, I mean, it's called yeah. Hell's Kitchen. This is pre-Jamba Juice. Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> That's okay. right, right, right. So to advance the story from Davy Crockett time frame, and thank you for that, LP, um, 1960s is going to be kind of where the story starts to give you the answer to your question in the very long beat around way because I didn't want to ruin okay. what, uh, what I knew he had here. I'm a little afraid. Okay. <laughs> so by the 1960s, Hell's Kitchen gangland scene was coming under the control of a guy by the name of Mickey Spillane. So Mickey Spillane was overseeing a more ambitious criminal organization uh, than what was normally going on here. His mentor, a guy by the name of Huey Mulligan, okay? And these names get very stereotypical, okay? <laughs> That's right. Oh, no, Kevin Patrick. And yet. some really good nicknames, too. Oh, there's a couple. <laughs> Any Fitzpatrick's, uh, O'Shea's? Oh, it's um, 
it, you're going to – Congrats. I guessed half of them. You're going to have a couple of favorites here, I think. Okay. Um, <laughs> Huey Mulligan is now going uh, – is currently the, the Irish um, boss in uh, the kitchen, if you will, and in Queens. Is his gang called The News? It's a <laughs> 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 Huey Mulligan in The News. <laughs> extra, extra. Read all about it. You're dead. <laughs> Uh, but he's actually working loosely with the uh, Lucchese family, Lucchese crime family. Here. Lucchese. Lucchese. I'm sorry. I should know that based off how many yeah, I mean, remember, man, I dated. They might come after us. That's right. Uh, I, I have a healthy fear of them and a healthy respect for them. All right. They're businessmen. Um, now, of course, they're one of the major five families in New York's Italian mob. The others, of course, being Bonanno, Gambino, Genovese, and Cordes. Yeah. So the uh, – Well, actually, Kev, the five families were uh, Tommy Lucchese. Uh, Vito Genovese, uh, Carlo, Johnson? Carlo Gambino, um, Joe Bonanno, and then there was a Joseph Colombo, but he was upset by the Cordes family as they entered into the uh, entertainment industry and gained a strong influence within the entertainment industry. This is going to get too many Googles. <laughs> <laughs> you said Bumpy Johnson, so Bumpy actually was with uh, Frank Lucas. That comes that he's not because this is the Italians. You got to be. I'm talking to the Italians. Oh, just honors. the strict five family. That's because he was not considered part of that. Yeah, they don't. Um, they don't allow um, yeah. anybody of non-Italian descent to even become a made member. So, mm -hmm. which is interesting with their weird affinity for. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, by, by the 1960s, where we've already gone past the old, um, what was termed the mustache peach, the the original uh, Italian crime wave or crime families, if you will. But now we're seeing a more diverse, <laughs> more accepting people that as long as you're earning money, you were not a full-fledged member of the organization, but uh, – See, people, wokeness goes back <laughs> even further than you thought. That's right. And by the way, just side note, I realize this now. You weren't here for when we covered Bumpy Johnson on this show. Are you serious? Yeah, because he was involved in the uh, escape from Alcatraz. What? You didn't know that? I got to listen back now. Uh, <laughs> all right. You hear that, SoundCloud? Well, we, might be have, we might have a new Patreon listener here. <laughs> uh, keep going because I want to set up um, the, the transfer here uh, to Spillane. Yeah, well, there was a uh, – you know, again, the, the five families really didn't come about until um, there was a, a whole big, big feud with, with, with that and it was uh, – Lucchesi, who I believe was the one who masterminded the whole thing about having these guys coming together and as a more organized kind of a thing because the gang wars between the various Italian factions was just a bloodbath. And, you know, rather than uh, when you're out trying to kill the, the other gang members, you're not earning money. So, I mean, it, it costs money to go to war. So, it, it's, it's better off for everybody if we kind of settle our differences. But uh, – Mickey Spillane was uh, one of the people that was in the Lucchese crime family. But again, there was a, you know, traitorous kind of a thing going on there that um, Spillane was part of the uh, the solution, if you will, that made the Lucchese come to power, that uh, he was taking out people for the Lucchese uh, crime family. So uh, am I allowed to say that crime, Lucchese crime family? I mean uh, – we're not going to get squelched by uh, by somebody, right? That we're uh, stereotyping somebody. I or? mean, it should have happened by now, based <laughs> off things I've said yeah. on stage. But um, I will say this though: uh, the solution you were talking about earlier too 
is to unify the five families. And then uh, there was going to be a guy who was trying to say, and everybody reports to me, right? And then they're like, no. And then they kill that guy. And then the five heads of the families, they all decide they're going to form something called the commission, which settles the beefs. Right. So anyway, so now uh, we've set that part up over here. So now um, this is kind of interesting. I, I enjoyed learning about this part here. While non-full-blooded Italians were not able to become fully-fledged made men in the organization, there was always room at the table as long as, like you said, Dad, they were good earners. Ways you would earn money would be racketeering, robberies, heists, gambling, booze. By the way, borgata is a legit Sicilian slang term, which means close-knit, and it's a mafia kind of a slang term for gang. So close-knit gang. So if you want to go stay at the close-knit gang casino next time you're in Atlantic City, folks, it, it's literally – they're telling you what they're there for. We're going to give you booze. We're going to take your money. Do you understand? You're going to have a great time and you're going to come back with your wife, right? You've been holding on to that one since you found that out, haven't you? Uh, I've been pretty happy about it. Uh, <laughs> so uh, now speaking of heists, one way an Irish fellow could earn a rep in the Italian mob would be to pull off a major heist. Let's say maybe something big. Like, you know, robbing an airline or something like that. Yeah. Like maybe the Lufthansa classy. heist. Look, you hear me? Wait a minute. The, the Lufthansa, Lufthansa heist. The Lufthansa. This one's um, – I've known this part for a long time. But the Lufthansa heist as pulled off by a real-life man that Robert De Niro's character in Goodfellas is based off of, Jimmy the Gent, right? Jimmy Conway in the movie. Mm -hmm. um, he's actually a guy from Jersey named Jimmy Burke. <laughs> Jimmy the Gent Burke. Yep. Yeah, and you and think that an with a nickname. Spillane. Yeah, I think with a nickname like Jimmy the Gent. Well, this is a an up you know an up class, uh, high class, well dressed individual and easy going, mild mannered. <laughs> well, that was another episode of American Loser people. <laughs> oh God, not so much. But I, uh, I can't prove this either, Dad. But I think he's adopted. <laughs> I swear, I, I have yeah, a memory I, I of believe, this. I believe it is uh, when I did some of the research that uh, Jimmy the Gent had a, a, a tough uh, childhood for sure. But uh, he is the uh, credited as being the mastermind for this Lufthansa heist. Now, the Lufthansa heist was a very famous robbery that is. Still never you – know, money was never recovered. It was never proven because what had happened is uh, they stole from Lufthansa Airline out of uh, JFK Airport $5.8 million. What? Which in today's money, that's like a $25 million heist. And it was never – And it was never – the money was never recovered. It, was it never, never circulated. And never. And if it, you want really good heist stuff too, Pete Stegmeier's uh, uh, podcast called uh, I Can Steal That. He came in as a guest one time. He does an insane amount of research on it. So if you're looking for like great heist stuff, I think he covered Lufthansa. I'm not sure. But just want to shout that boy out. Yeah. And then uh, Jimmy the Gent was uh, – Jimmy the Gent Burke was credited with, uh, with masterminding that whole thing. And um, – he was also involved with uh, um, uh, Boston College point shaving scheme and he served some time. But uh, one of the reasons why they were never able to find out who really was involved with that Lufthansa heist is there was a lot of guys that turned up dead following that, that they think, well, part of the gang that was the instrumental in taking over the heist because it was a van load of guys that went into Lufthansa uh, terminal. Way, there's only one good way to keep a secret. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. If two guys know a secret, there's only one way. When they found Carbone it. in the freezer, it took them three days to thaw him out for the autopsy. <laughs> yeah. Lord. So these uh, these Irish guys, they're earning the money, right? And then there's certain – there's pockets still. This is uh, an evolving 
New York City. Okay, uh, there's still neighborhoods based off a lot of things here. But with Mickey Spillane now taking the reins of the Irish mob here, he did some similar tactics to past bosses, other bosses, politicians. Uh, tell me if any of this sounds familiar to you here, Coons. He's going to send flowers to the people in the hospital. Okay, that's kind of an Al Capone move right there. And also gives out some uh, Christmas and Thanksgiving turkeys, not like the opening scene of American Gangster or anything. Because if you wanted to ensure that someone would look the other way for a little crime in your area or ensure that maybe nobody would ever talk, let alone call the cops, a little extra food on the table of a poor community is – especially from a guy who is at least one of you. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's one of our own. He's always going to go well, – you know, it goes a long way. So There's a great example of that in another movie and um, shoot. Uh, Robert De Niro's directorial debut. Uh, a Bronx Tale. Yeah, Bronx Tale. Yeah. The, the the very opening of that movie is like, well, at least first half hour perfectly encompasses that. It's like big crime happens, kid witnesses it, and s slowly tries to buy off the family <laughs> or at least gifts to the neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. You nobody don't get calls. In the, yeah, yeah. Nobody in the neighborhood happened to be looking out the window that day. <laughs> I wasn't outside. The whole block wasn't outside. Yeah. So I wasn't there. <laughs> That's right. Now, Spillane's also similar to these other guys here. He's able to present himself as a businessman. Uh, he would run the numbers game, which of course leads to loan sharking, which of course when not repaid in time leads to assault. OK. So he's definitely putting on a uh, – he's an Irish mobster, but he's wearing a suit and tie kind of a thing. And he's got big aspirations for what he's going to do here. So, yeah. And part, part of the uh, um, normal routine too for some of these Irish uh, – uh, gangs was to uh, kidnap people and then hold them for ransom. And it could be politicians. It could be influential people around town. It could also be uh, Italian members of the Italian mob that they're, you know. They're <laughs> it, it didn't work with the Lindbergh baby. Why do you keep doing yeah, it? Yeah, that's uh, an important callback. Lose reception. Um, now, Spillane still had his wild ways here too because by the way, this is a guy who's willing to, hey, I'll loan you some money if you need some money. Hey, you didn't pay me back yet. Oh, I'm going to break your legs, that kind of a thing. Or there's sometimes you get murdered. Sometimes we're just going to kidnap a random person here and rough them up and hope to get a little cash out of them. And then also he's going to put his suit on still at the end of the day and winds up marrying into the prestigious and prominent McManus family of the New York Democratic Party. What's another name for the New York Democratic Party around this time frame? Shit. Tammany Hall. <laughs> Wait, it's this. Oh, my God. So right. it's the the – that, that's what it emerged into here. So that's still all that groundwork, the, the corruption that built us the Upper West Side. So you kind of got to thank them. I've gone to a few of the museums paid for in blood. <laughs> but, Good uh, Lord. Tammany Hall is starting to lose a little bit of its influence uh, with that. But uh, yeah, you're, you're certainly right, Kev, that uh, you know he's marrying into a family that has got some, uh, got some chops for sure. Well, when an ambitious guy marries into uh, a well-connected family, it's only a matter of time, especially in New York – until the labor unions are going to get mentioned. When so, a crook marries into a family of crooks. It's, uh, it's, it's a big old sitcom. It's, uh, there's a little game of thrones to it, but without like royal blood or whatever. It's just, uh, you know, uh, I guess the making the money. And, I'd argue that, yes, there is. You just said museums paid for it in, in blood and <laughs> blood, blood line, not blood splatter. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but it's a matter of time, like we said. Now, the labor forces, they're going to wind up getting in here. And it's interesting because Spillane is able to help fix contracts and more in order to bring the formerly waterfront working Irish labor force on the waterfront. There you go. There's your reference right there. Hoboken. OK. Yep. Um, so and then who's on the other side getting all the other ships coming in from Hoboken? You got the New York dock workers here, mostly Irish fellas. So he's able to fix contracts and winds up bringing the former waterfront workers. That Irish labor force now moves into construction jobs on buildings like Madison Square Garden, 
New York Coliseum, and the Javits Center. And in the 1970s, oh yeah, uh, there's a lot of buildings that have come up and down over the years. <laughs> um, the Javits Center, by the way, uh, this one's the, the the focal point here. That's going to become the centerpiece of the very much increasing tension between Spillane's Irish muscle and the Genovese crime family. Yeah, but again, going back, you might want to go into a little bit about the uh, <laughs> the snatch racket. I mean, <laughs> so he's definitely uh, up we, in his game going into the labor unions, but. Uh, you know, one of the most uh, uh, infamous illegal endeavors was his snatch racket. Now, not that type of snatch, but it's a different kind Did of he a just, snatch he racket. He just read my joke back to me and played it off as his own. <laughs> but he's, he did uh, it. Easy there, Master. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, they would, they would, as I said earlier, he would they would kidnap local businessmen or influential people around time and hold them up for a hostage or ransom and then uh, – uh, but he didn't stop there. He would also um, go after some of the uh, Italian boys, and that didn't sit too well. So, I mean, this wasn't a, a love fest here that just because you were earning money for perhaps some of the Italian boys that, you know, they were welcomed with open arms. It wasn't the brotherhood. It wasn't a, a fraternity. So, you know, yeah. there, was, there was still a little friction there amongst the uh, – the various, uh, even though we go to the same church on Sundays, <laughs> right? Right. Well, no, not necessarily because you're not you're not as an Irish kid. You're not going to the Italian church. Is no, that, the, the Italian guys go to the Irish church. Isn't it funny that there's a difference Roman. between Roman Catholics and Irish Catholics? That always <laughs> cracks me up. But the uh, by the way, this one's interesting here because uh, we eventually have to introduce probably the most colorful character in the story. Um, and I will get into his. We're going to go back to the uh, the quote snatch racket and why that's important to. <laughs> So these little crimes, you never know what you're going to do that's going to set the table for years later you to pay for something you got away with today. OK? Is that fair enough? I think a lot of people are learning that. Um, so in the 1970s, the Javits Center here is starting to be built. And um, the Italians, they're outnumbering the Irish uh, in muscle, strength, everything, and certainly the Genovese crime family over here. They certainly have more power. But the location of the Javits Center, location, 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 means everything. That's right. Real estate, man. Just happens to be located in the very, very Irish Hell's Kitchen, which uh, meant that Spillane not only refused Italian interference on its construction, uh, he was also increasingly successful, uh, very successful too, at boxing out the Italians from even being part of like the labor force. And they're like, we're not going to cough up any money, you guys. You're not going to sh- you know, send me these no-show construction guys. We're not going to have any of that. This is this money's going to people who work in the kitchen who happen to be Irish. We don't need any eye ties coming in from outside. You know what I mean? So he's very successful here. But when you build a palace and you exclude the Italian muscle from working the jobs and you don't offer up a taste of the profits, it's going to end poorly. Yeah, that does. That's not going to be a long, a long-term situation. Well, Dad, Breaking news: Javits Center on fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, even better, uh, like all powerful organizations, we've covered this forever. It's, uh, you know, uh, the example I always like to use is they talk about um, Hernan Cortez, who we've done an episode on before. Hernan Cortez, uh, the, the, you know, the Spaniard who came down and took down, uh, you know, Mesoamerica pretty much. Um, he shows up and the first thing he does is he goes, this Montezuma character, uh, who doesn't like him? Let me talk to them. And they start introducing, well, this this tribe has a problem with Montezuma. He goes, hey, guys, let's talk for a minute, will you? Because the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And the Italians are about as good as anybody at that shit. Um, so they're going to find out, well, who who does Mickey Spillane consider like an enemy? Who's a guy that's you know hot on his tails? Who can we talk to here that's going to make some things happen? Enter the wildly colorful and still alive, so let's not say anything bad, 
Jimmy Coonan. Jimmy Coonan was born in Manhattan in 1946. His father worked as an accountant and ran a tax office in Hell's Kitchen. Coonan, do you remember earlier when I said Spillane had a habit of kidnapping and roughing up local businessmen and holding them for ransom? Yes, sir. Well, it seems that Spillane had pulled this on young Jimmy's father, John Coonan, and after finding his father had been pistol-whipped and beaten by the Hell's Kitchen mob, the future head of the Westies gang, at age just 18, would find some of Spillane's men somewhere in the kitchen, all right, and then fire off an entire magazine of an automatic machine gun. Now, he does not hit anybody. But, <laughs> yeah. but well, Stormtrooper aim, okay. A, <laughs> he's a young kid. Yeah, give him a chance. Give him a chance. That is a way to introduce yourself to the masses. It's, it almost has a sound of like, uh, here's my calling card. You know, you know where to find me kind of a thing. Fires his number into the wall. <laughs> Eight, six, seven, five, three. Mm-hmm. Uh, he will find, uh, again, that although he doesn't hit anybody, the message is very well received. Um, Coonan will declare his war on Spillane and his own involvement in the Hell's Kitchen underworld was just beginning. By lining himself up with a tough but very well-known loan shark in the neighborhood named Charles Ruby Stein, not Irish, um, Coonan's tough reputation and willingness for violence is going to give him a name around the kitchen in a hurry. So when your introductory uh, introductory offer, if you will, is to fire in a full clip of a machine gun at people, mm-hmm. you're letting everybody know uh, that there's a new kid on the block over here. Pretty much. Yeah, the old Chicago typewriter, right? <laughs> that's such a good name. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a great name. Well, some of it, he's so feared, by the way, right away that some of Spillane's own men will even join up with Jimmy Coonan out of fear and have like, hey, listen, I see the new wave coming in here. I better join up with the you – know, I don't know how long this old's going to last here. And also, uh, I'm way more afraid of this guy. There's also some people that just admire him. He's got a tough reputation, a willingness for violence like we were saying here. The new kid on the block is making some noise and he's got zero problem dealing out beatings. Executing kidnappings, torturing and murdering his way into more power. And and this is uh, Jimmy? Jimmy Jimmy Coonan. Jimmy. Okay. So now uh, Mickey Spillane. Man who's still alive. Oh yeah, Jimmy Coonan is still alive. More on that in a sec. (laughs) Uh, Spillane will eventually be forced to flee the kitchen, and his departure will cede power, at least on the street level, to Jimmy Coonan. What certainly aided his decision to flee the kitchen and make arrangements with the Italians for like, hey, guys, I know we had a disagreement about the Javits Center, but I was thinking maybe we could talk. You know, um, I'm, I'm not safe in my own neighborhood right now, so I'm going to go ahead and leave, but I need you guys to still consider me in power, that kind of a thing. Yeah, and I think what's interesting too is a lot of these guys lived in the neighborhood. It wasn't like they were driving to work and coming over to the west side of New York. Nope. So um, Spillane decides, you know, maybe I should get my family the hell out of here before uh, something goes a little, a little That's sideways why you with never Jimmy Coonan. The crime where you live. <clears throat> now, a question for you, Dad. Yeah. Um, you said something goes a little sideways. I'm going to say this next thing goes a lot way sideways. Yeah, well, uh, big time. Just so, a complete flip of the image. Yeah, but uh, Spillane takes off, and then I believe he moves. Uh, the family to Queens. Um, hopefully, that he's out of uh, Coonan's, you know, out of Coonan's sights. Well, there's a lot of Irish over in Queens too. That's uh, another problem here too. But uh, so we got uh, this big moment here that's going to make you realize that it's time for you know maybe I'm going to get the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. Is when over the course of six months, uh, Spillane's top three lieutenants are all murdered in hits, ordered by the Italians, but carried out by a very colorful character, Dad, by the name of. Uh, He's an Irish hitman, by the way, an Irish hitman pulling these things. He's rogue. He doesn't have any sort of allegiance to anybody. And his name is Mad Dog Sullivan. 
So that's a nice you, name. Really? That's Matt a nice dog. Sullivan. Yes. Do you know this guy? I've actually heard the name before, and it's actually kind of strange because that's actually a name that I'm related to. Yeah. <laughs> Be careful what you say, Kev. Well, Kahuna, there's something interesting here too. Yeah, by the way, so are you admitting this? <laughs> no, just uh, Sullivan's a very familiar family name. So I'm like, whoa, shit. <laughs> sorry, well, sorry, uh, Sunquist family. No, they're good. They're good. Actually, I want to promote real quick. Um, actually, Carl and uh, his kid are on tour together, doing music together. Really? Yeah, they did. Um, I, I meant to shout them out so much longer ago. I apologize for the interruption in the show, but please, Sunquist family, thank you so much. You guys are really great. I'm so happy. I, I thought we were going to scare them off after three months. They're, they're, they're oh, here yeah. years now. Um, Carl's a great musician. Check him out there. And again, he's on tour with his own kid. That's pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. They took what my me and my father do here and then gave it integrity. <laughs> <laughs> and took it on the road. Exactly. But uh, now I'm going to set up uh, my father here for success. Dad, I just mentioned that this guy, these three top lieutenants are all going to get whacked by the same guy. James Mad Dog Sullivan. Who, what, where, when, what the fuck? Yeah, well, Mad Dog Sullivan, nice uh, nice Irish boy. Again, had a, a bit of a tough upbringing, if you will. Um, what was interesting is that his father was a New York City cop and uh, his father died, I believe, at the age of, of two. But uh, – Anyhow, uh, he had, he had a tough upbringing, no doubt. That's not to say that um, when your father's a two year old, I'd, I'd I'd have some questions too. Yeah, um, the uh, the murders that were or the hits that were put out by by Mad Dog. Again, Mad Dog, he's an Irish kid, but he's working for the mob and or the the Italian mob and. You know, they had some difficulties. Pay with better. The food's better. <laughs> Mr. Spillane. <laughs> with Mr. Spillane. So uh, um, they they uh, put out the order to uh, kill Spillane's top three lieutenants. Um, and Mad Dog takes care of that. Mad Dog has a very colorful uh, his, uh, resume in, his in, in itself. His name is Mad Dog. <laughs> yeah. Um, a brutal, if it didn't, I'd have some questions. Yeah. Um, but um, – he is uh, famous also for um, the only guy that was ever able to escape from what was thought of previously as an escape-proof prison, which was Attica. Uh, there's a there's a name for you that some of us might remember from other movies too, where people were in the streets are screaming Attica, <laughs> Attica. <laughs> um, but anyhow, um, he was. Uh, um, Given the the order to take out these three guys, and in these three close confidants, uh, Tom uh, Devaney, um, a force Blaine, and then uh, Eddie the Butcher. <laughs> I love I love some of these nicknames that these guys come up with. Even Mad Dog himself coming up with that name, um, and. Uh, I, well, the, the I, got, I got all three of them. I'll, I'll take right, this right. right This is pretty good here. And this is my favorite part of the gang known as the Westies here too. They will murder you in places that they still go hang out later. You know what I mean? Uh, there, there's a Wild West shootout thing going on here. So I mean at the same time, as crazy as that is, that's pretty baller. It's <laughs> – uh, yeah, you're sitting at the bar with this guy having a couple of drinks and all of a sudden you're getting whacked now. Um you know, <laughs> Mad Dog Sullivan is also—he's a uh, a veteran. He's a 
He's a war hero to, to, to some sort. Some actually, he we don't all go on to great things. Yeah, he uh, he um, gets himself into a little bit of a you know hometown fracas and uh, decides that the best way of doing that, of escaping that, is to join the army. He Did goes, you just say um, got in a little hometown, hometown jam, jam, so they put a rifle in your hand. Did you it sent you off to? Vietnam, yeah. Got so one little fight, and my mom got scared. And said you're going in the army. <laughs> pretty much it. Um, yeah, but he uh, he ends up going over to Nam. So he's now at the age of 19. Uh, he's uh, heading off to uh, Vietnam. Comes back from that. Uh, you know, the Vietnam War is over, um, and you know he's he's a, a trained uh, he's. Trained for killing. And, and not know. the only government-trained killer that's going to be in this story, yeah. too, by the way. But, uh, you know, his, his business is killing and business is good. I'm afraid <laughs> so, to ask. Yeah. Is he still kicking? No. Um, negative. Okay. But uh, I'll say this. So uh, the big three hits that he puts together here, again, the uh, lieutenants. called for by the Italians, carried out by an Irish renegade hitman here. There's three. Uh, Tom Devaney, a high-level enforcer for Spillane. Mad Dog Sullivan will shoot and kill him in a bar in Midtown Manhattan. Okay, just walks right into a bar in Midtown Manhattan. There's there's probably Elmo playing in front of this right now, next to a Jamba Juice or something like that. Wait, and then what's the year? It's uh well, let's see. This one I don't have on that, but we're talking 1960s and 70s. Yeah, so Pac-Man. Because because 70s, it may very well be possible <laughs> that Sesame Street was on the TV. <laughs> well, uh, Mad Dog, he pulls off that one uh, with relative ease here. And uh, one of them, I can't remember. One of them, he actually put um, – he was observing the guy for uh, six months, six weeks, I think, rather, and then uh, literally put um, blackface on and then killed this guy so nobody could identify him. So – Pretty wild here, man. Now, uh, the other – this is the best one though. All right. There, there's, and it's hard to say best when you're talking about mafia hits and mob hits here. But this one's just it, – it's such a colorful person and it's so crazy how it all happened. As my father mentioned earlier, one of the best names in this whole thing, Eddie the Butcher Comiskey was a surprising victim since he was on very, very good terms with both Spillane and Coonan. In fact, uh, there were rumors that the butcher had even taught Coonan the art of body dismemberment. So Spillane knew that – you got to keep the you know Eddie the Butcher on your side here because he's a tough gangster. People respect him. He's a feared man. He's willing to do some crazy shit. And then Coonan's like, well, hey, kind of, I'm a little crazy fuck like you, you know. And they they hit it off these two. And the rumors are this: we're going to keep this just as rumors. We're going to be a little ambiguous at times. We can't give you all the facts here as much as we want to. If you want to know more about it, there's a great book called uh, "The Irish Mob in Hell's Kitchen" by T.J. English, the history of the Westies. So, That's definitely an alias. Oh, it's uh, it's some good stuff here. Um, the rumors are, like I said, that Coonan was taught the art of body dismemberment by the butcher who got his nickname because he was very good at making dead bodies disappear. The butcher had a habit of disposing of bodies in a sewage treatment plant and the legend goes that he and Coonan once brought the severed head of Patty Dugan out of the bar. OK. They, they, this out is, to the bar. I should, yeah. Let me – there's two things I want to rephrase. it. There's a couple things from that movie um, – that I was just talking about, uh, State of Grace, mm -hmm. that are um, taken from different characters amongst the Westies. And there's a scene in there where Gary Oldman shows Sean Penn. He goes, hey, man, I found a new way so that the cops can't trace um, your gun. And he opens up his freezer and there's about six severed hands in there. And he goes, when you're done killing somebody on a job, you put the dead man's hand around the gun. Then you throw it you know, in public so you don't have to throw it in the river or anything like that. And then the cops are looking for a dead guy. 
because they're pulling Dead Man's Prince off there. So it, and it's and they're eerie how they're yeah. It's not the craziest part. <laughs> There's the jaw drop moment oh, for Goon. Not God. the craziest part. That's pretty smart actually. Yeah, you said that, oh God. Uh, they would chop up the body parts and uh, throw them in the water uh, outside the sewage treatment plant, which. Yeah, it had all kinds of stuff mixed in with the uh, discharge chute out the sewage treatment plant. So, you know. Uh, it, it the was... EPA was finding body parts. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, by the way, another place you could dispose of a body if you wanted to, and you had to do it right. Okay, you had to do it right. Under Giant Stadium? Um, well, there's that too. Um, there's <laughs> something a little closer to our boys in Hell's Kitchen. Now, when you come through the Lincoln Tunnel, what's that weird body of water right there that Hell's Kitchen is up against? The western boundary of, of Hell's Kitchen. You could go throw a body into the Hudson River, okay? It could be floating alongside the Intrepid. You know what I mean? That's literally I'm, – I'm not even kidding, all right? Wait. But if if the butcher – As you're riding your bicycle down the uh, west side <laughs> Mommy, park. mommy, what's that? <laughs> yeah. That was your uncle. Keep your eyes forward. <laughs> um, <laughs> so if the butcher got a hold of you, the reason why he was so good at this, he would dismember so they could never figure out who it was. And he also knew – he was smart enough to know that you have to deflate the lungs of the victim so it can't fill with water and make the body buoyant. So that, that's why bodies weren't floating to the top of the Hudson River here. That's why you're – That's the most horrifying piece of knowledge I think I've ever learned on yeah, this show and I've learned a lot. Which is another reason why I laughed so hard when an ex-girlfriend of mine said uh, on going through the Lincoln Tunnel uh, for the first time, she said – Oh, uh, they should make it clear so you could see everything. Uh, uh, how, many, no, no. Uh, how many dead gangsters do you need to see? <laughs> um, no. But again, the, the butcher here, the legend goes that he and Coonan, and he taught Coonan how to dismember bodies here after they killed a guy uh, by the name of Patty Dugan. I believe I have that right here. There was a dispute between a couple of Westies and Patty Dugan. Uh, wound up shooting one of the other Westies. Uh, or I shouldn't say Westies, a Hell's Kitchen guy, Hell's Kitchen mobster. Um in the head uh, when he was drunk at like 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. And so they didn't like that because this was a popular guy and they thought he deserved better. So they wind up killing this guy. And then after they've dismembered his body, they bring his severed head to one of their bars that they hang out in. Okay, They sit there. The two of them, Coonan and the butcher, are having a drink. They put the severed head in between the two of them, order the severed head a drink, then put a cigarette in its mouth and light it for him. <laughs> so if you happen to walk into a Hell's Kitchen bar at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning around this time and you saw two tough-looking dudes and there's a severed head sitting on the bar next to them, you just say, oh, did you guys say last call? Hey, good night. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, can you be? Can you imagine being the bartender in that situation? Well, the bartender gets involved in this story. Um, and by the way, the, the, the Westies were known for occasionally shooting um, – uh, bartenders, if they got a little mouthy or tried to kick them out or something, and they had a couple of bars, they were regular hang uh, like hangouts for them. So, hey, you didn't pay for your drinks. Yeah. Oh, we didn't. <laughs> drinks on the house. That's right. Closing this, time? I don't think so. Is this eighteen percent? Here's the last two. <laughs> um, but uh, the bartender was told um, that there's a milk carton upstairs. Go get the milk carton and uh, dispose of it or whatever. And in this was the Dugan fellow's penis that they cut off which was then preserved in a pickle jar. And you thought Dan Sickles was weird. <laughs> little callback for the loser devotees there. So now the butcher will also wind up being shot and killed by the mad dog in a bar as well. So he winds up dying in a bar here too. So wait, the, the, the two who were just having drinks together, mad dog ended up killing the butcher? Uh, well, no, so Mad Dog is uh, the Irishman who's been hired to kill. Is it? Yeah. Jimmy Coonan is the guy that he's doing the butchering with. 
So Coonan oh, okay. and, and – Because you said someone was named The Butcher. Yeah, you have The Butcher and he winds up being killed by the mad dog here. So you have Eddie The Butcher. Okay. Eddie The Butcher Kaminsky. Kaminsky. Yeah, that's okay. a, another fun thing too that they so were wait, uh, welcoming was, to the Polacks. Who was lighting the cigarette with mad dog in the, in the head? So that was Coonan. And Coonan. Yeah, Coonan okay. sitting there because they became fast friends and they learned they, – they bonded over dismembering somebody. So that's how you know you're dealing with a couple of sociopaths. Um, that's a short film. Now, the butcher <laughs> winds up getting shot here and killed by uh, the Mad Dog in a bar as well. And then the final lieutenant of Mickey Spillane's well, – you're right, Coon. We are introducing a lot of names here. In this Mickey Spillane, Jimmy Coonan war, uh, the Italians have authorized a guy named Mad Dog Sullivan to kill three of Spillane's top uh, lieutenants okay. so that they can start to put Jimmy Coonan in power because Coonan will play ball with the Italians. And he's not forcing them out of the big labor jobs. So um, anyway, the final uh, uh, lieutenant here that gets killed is Tom the Greek. Okay, Tom the Greek was a nice boy from New Jersey with a second degree murder rap under his belt. And he oh, would nice boy. <laughs> well, he would be killed as well by Mad Dog Sullivan in the six month killing spree that helps the Italian mob work Spillane the fuck out of the kitchen. Okay. So LP, did you have anything on Tom the Greek or no? No, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah. It's uh it, he's worth reading about too. There's a couple of robberies in uh Patterson, New Jersey that he takes part in. Um, I mean, I was going down so many different wormholes with all these guys. That, well, there's uh, a few. <laughs> they, all, they all have a very interesting read, I'll tell you. Well, uh, Jimmy the Coonan uh, – I'm Jimmy the Coonan, Jesus Christ. Eddie the Butcher, Jimmy Coonan, right? Um, he is now aided by his younger brother, Jackie. Those familiar with the movie State of Grace I keep talking about will know that Jackie Coonan's personality and style was taken heavily by Gary Oldman's uh, uh, character he created of uh, Jackie Flannery, who's one of my all-time favorite uh, characters ever. And um, the great Colin Quinn, when interviewed about this movie, because he was loosely associated with some people you know, in West Manhattan and uh, some maybe uh, connected guys over in Brooklyn, he was saying that uh, the people who uh, saw this movie that knew Jackie Flannery, uh, not Jackie Flannery, that knew Jackie Coonan, this is Jimmy Coonan's younger brother, they said that it was like watching a ghost that he had captured his essence perfectly. Gary Oldman up there with Daniel Day-Lewis. Holy hell. So um, now uh, again here, uh, the other – the actions of this Jackie Flannery character, Oldman's character is based off Jackie Flannery. OK. Very likable, heavy drinker with a big personality. But his violent streak in the movie is based off of one in, one of Coonan's top guys. Jimmy Coonan's a tough dude. He's taking over Hell's Kitchen. He's going to need a little crazy son of a bitch you know, uh, uh, to back him up on a couple of things here. And that's where you're going to enter uh, a guy with a violent streak of his own, quite the character, Mickey Featherstone. All right. Mickey Featherstone, born in Manhattan. Of course, all these boys seem to be. Um, he would lie about his age, much like Mad Dog Sullivan did, and he joins the military too. Yeah. Winds up serving with a little unit called the Green Berets and he's in Vietnam and he is seeing uh, seeing combat and apparently gets very upset when he's taken out of combat and he's put into like a store clerk type position. And they they kind of allude to that it might have been because um, he was pulling drunken pranks a lot and he was always kind of rabble rousing. He was a hard to control guy but he apparently liked being in the shit. Yeah, he liked uh, he liked the thrill of the thrill of the kill, that's for sure. So he's got a little bit of the war is the drug kind of a thing going on here for him. And uh, those are always the people you should just look out for. You know? When you can uh well it's it's always uh the scariest guy in platoon is not Tom Berenger. The scariest guy is uh Bunny, played by uh uh what's it, Matt Dillon's brother? Mm-hmm. 
That's the scariest guy in the whole movie because he just goes, it ain't so bad out here. Nobody fucks with you. <laughs> so um, now, of course, he winds up running afoul of his, uh, um, you know, his command here and he gets, uh, again, constant drunk partying and pranks. He claims he's suffering from hallucinations and gets out and obtains a medical discharge from the military. But he was a Green Beret. Can't take that from him. Served in the shit. Combat tested. So now you've got a wild boy from a tough town coming back to his tough town during heated gang activity in his own neighborhood. And oh, yeah, he's also a trained killer now, too. So killing is my business. Well, the business is good. <laughs> <laughs> well, the rumors go like this. Again, we'll call them rumors here that there was a group known as the Riley Brothers that uh, came into the kitchen from Jersey and apparently started a fight in one of the bars. And Mickey Featherstone returns with a rifle and blasts one of the brothers in the arm. He would also shoot a man dead in front in a confrontation outside of a bar in the kitchen. Keep in mind, this keeps happening. This is the Westies. This is the neighborhood. Yeah. This, is, this is the neighborhood. It's just like uh, – not just like, but it's very similar to what Kahuna was saying about a Bronx tale when there's the shooting out front because it's just the, the, the wise guys are all playing cards out front. This is just the, the, the drunken bar fly Irish mobsters and every now and then somebody has got to get shot, you know. Um, so there's a – Terrifying. Got, but they got a cowboy thing to them, that and that's really the Italians look at them that way too. And by the way, the the cowboy movies well, the police, are very popular. The police for people who couldn't go to the police. Mm -hmm. like, it, it's there. It too. harkens back to that. Well, the Italians are looking at the Irish as the cowboys. So that's what I'm saying. You, you're going back to an organized uh, thing. Okay. The Italians. This is would more say, of like a. Uh, as you said, Wild West. Type. The Wild West. So these guys can't get reined in here. They're a little bit nuts. These are, are uh, these are tough street dudes. These are cowboys. These are shoot 'em ups. And uh, of course, again, he's got a pension for volunteer Mickey Featherstone. He's from the kitchen. He hangs out in all the Westie bars. And whenever he gets in trouble, he claims insanity to get out of his legal charges. Well, it worked. To, you know, it worked back uh, to, for his medical discharge that he was claiming he was undergoing hallucinations and everything else. That got him the medical discharge. Um, out of the army. So, I mean, uh, why not try to, you know, is he truly whacked? Yeah, he's truly whacked, but, you know, it's not. Let's not use not that a, term just for, just, oh, is, yeah, he, is he out of his fucking whacked. mind? Yes, yes he is. But yeah, sometimes he plays a it different up a connotation. <laughs> is he whacked out? Yeah. Whacked is a whole other thing. Whacked out? Okay, that's yeah. fine. So uh, now, again, here, it's obvious that Jimmy Coonan has found his right hand man in this war against uh, Spillane. It's been about a year since Spillane fled the kitchen and his top enforcers had all been killed. Coonan, his brother Jackie, and now Mickey Featherstone were becoming known as this group referred to as the Westies. Although, as mentioned earlier, they never call themselves that. That's kind of important, okay? That's yeah, like so if somebody said, hey, I was a Westie. You know they're full of shit because they didn't even call themselves that. Right. So, but um, Coonan will become friendly. little thing here too. The, the Italian mob, they just can't help but notice these guys are fucking animals. <laughs> So Coonan becomes friendly with now the Gambino crime family, okay? And Roy DeMeo, who if you don't know, one of the fiercest and most feared gangsters of all time. I mean he's he, – he's – I'm too afraid to do an episode about him. Um, Roy had no problem getting his hands dirty. That's all you need to know about him as he was working his way up the ladder of the Gambino crime family, which at this time is underneath the uh, control of the boss, Paul Castellano, another infamous gangster. So Roy even perfected a method of execution and body disposal known as the Gemini method. Back to that in a oh, second. There's here. a name for it. That's right. That's right. The Gemini method, Kahuna. Well, yeah, uh, and doesn't that sound better than the butcher? 
I mean, come on, the Gemini method. That's Honestly, nice. see, that's a, the beauty weird... of the Italians. There's something a little pleasant in what they do. There's some nice imagery. You think there's flowers involved? Yeah, Gemini, twin, win. You know, yeah, you know what it is. At least, <laughs> at least with the butcher, I know what the hell I'm getting into. With the Gemini theory, it's like, oh God, what that? It could be anything. And I'm very. Uh, I would just like to point out that Kahuna has insulted the Gemini method, not my father or myself. Really? You, cur- you're doing it like that. He currently resides in. You think that's funny. I don't. I don't think that's funny at all. Like, I'm cutting uh, that part out. 5810 if you have to cut it. <laughs> oh, um, my God. So murder uh, for business is a big, big part of this uh, Gemini method, obviously, um, which we will get back to and I'll explain here. So, of course, when Roy DeMeo is hearing about these wild Irish cowboys over in the kitchen, he just cannot speak more glowingly of them. I think the exact quote was, you don't understand. These guys are fucking crazy. And he was saying it as a compliment. So um, now to get the Westies on board as earners and soldiers in this uh, increasingly more and more powerful Gambino crime family, uh, he would be something – he'd have to do something here to help out, uh, you know, uh, to earn the trust of Jimmy Coon in here. And in turn, if you can bring the Westies on board, DeMeo is going to become a made man in the uh, the family. So he establishes a friendship with Jimmy Coonan and the rumor is as a favor to Coonan and the Westies, DeMeo himself – I'm not saying he ordered this kahuna. I'm saying he did it. Okay. The rumor is that Roy DeMeo himself shot and killed Mickey Spillane five times outside of his apartment. After 11 years, Coonan's war with the man who roughed up his father is over as he now got one of the most famous Italian gangsters of all time to kill his enemy as a favor. Just be like, hey, I'm all right. Let me show you something. I got a favor for you. Like, uh, do me a solid. Kill this guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like when Uncle Paulie painted you except with guns. <laughs> So, All right, Peter with G. The, uh, <laughs> the next story, by the way, if you didn't think what we've already been talking about is legendary, the next one is. OK. This is, this is ridiculous. While Coonan liked DeMeo and vice versa, the two of them liked each other here, OK? Irish and Italian, the, the, the great Jackie Byrne has a hilarious joke. She goes uh, about how all the Italians and Irish, they, they mix together especially. She goes, I'm, um, I'm Jersey Irish, which means half Italian, <laughs> right? <laughs> I think it's like one of the most common uh, – the, the great uncle Floyd told me uh, when he found out I was nothing but Irish. He goes, oh, you're going to marry an Italian girl because you're from Jersey. That's what they do. <laughs> so, but uh, – Where's the lie? Oh, he ain't wrong. The, uh, the next story, by the way, it's out of control here. Um, Coonan and DeMeo like each other and DeMeo sets up that they're going to have a sit-down meeting with the wild Irish cowboys at a, an Italian restaurant obviously owned and controlled by the Gambino family. So, But the Gambinos are still something that makes Jimmy a little bit nervous because they had this thing called the aforementioned Gemini method. And that's what DeMeo would use to take out enemies and it was very simple but very effective. The Gemini lounge was a location run and controlled by DeMeo. What they would do, they would bring the uh, unsuspecting victim in through a side door, right? He'd be uh, lured into the place unsuspecting and then a silenced pistol and a towel would be used and then – there was nothing we could do about it. He's gone. He'd walk through the door and take a shot on a silenced pistol to the head and the towel was there to collect the blood because it just makes cleaning up a whole lot easier. So you're walking through the door thinking you're going into this uh, Gemini restaurant and when you're going through a side door. As you're entering the door, there's somebody behind the door with a pistol with a silencer on it and you get a shot in the head. Three good, <clears throat> sorry, three good examples of this from movies. 
Joe Pesci in Goodfellas. Um, what's his name? The guy who uh, uh, in Lethal Weapon 2, when he walks and he goes, uh, why am I standing on plastic? Then they shoot him. And then finally, when they when they kill uh, the fat guy, I forget his name, the, the big guy, uh, Jimmy, in the first season of Sopranos, when they mm-hmm. kill him. And then Chris, uh, I think it's Silvio, pops out of a closet after Christopher goes, where are these girls at you told me about? And he goes, boom, you're gone. So this was a very well-known thing. You you thought twice before you went to the Gemini Lounge, especially if you owed DeMeo money. So anyway, they're nervous was, about this. It's basically like, oh, if you're going to the Gemini, it's, you're, you're done. You're over. That's the Gemini method. Do not pass code. Do not collect $200. But you know the Italians, what they would do too is then they would have like some amazing party at the Gemini. And you're like, well, maybe it's a great party. Maybe I'll find it. <laughs> they're so good. Mind it, games. Uh, you're yeah. the guest of honor. It's uh, That's messed up. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, of course, Mickey Featherstone and Jimmy Coonan are a little bit nervous about being Gemini'd themselves. So Jimmy brought his wild, mentally ill. (laughs) He's got to bring in uh, Featherstone because why wouldn't you want to bring your wild, mentally ill, Green Beret right-hand man to a meeting where there might be some violence? Mm -hmm. The Italians knew that much. What they didn't know was that right down the street from the meeting in an abandoned building that is probably now a vegan dog bakery. Yes. (laughs) Coonan Barkery. Had... <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's it. We walked Kahuna. Um, in this – literally, just a couple – maybe a couple storefronts down. They don't really exactly say. This scene is also done in uh, um, very well in State of Grace. Cannot recommend that film enough. Won't give anything else away about it. It's one of my favorites. Um, but uh, there's this meeting going on with Coonan and Featherstone and the instructions are for the guys right down the road who are, by the way, in an abandoned building armed to the teeth with grenades and machine guns and the orders are simple. If we don't walk out of here in two minutes, that means we got gemini You come in, blast every motherfucker, blow the place up, get after everybody. Right. Well, you said two minutes. Uh, two hours. I'm sorry. Two hours. Two hours. So we're going to have this sit-down meeting with these Italian boys. I've told a few girls that minutes are hours. <laughs> That's right. It's your, it's your viewpoint. Um, but yeah, if we're not out in two hours, um, come in guns blazing to take out whatever, whoever still might be there. So Two hours seems like a long time. Well, well it was Italian a sit-down meeting. I mean, they're, they're hashing things out. I mean- They got to make gravy. Things, yeah. There's, <laughs> you've, you've eaten at Italian houses before. There's, there's a couple courses. You mm-hmm. know? <laughs> and then meanwhile, right down the street, the Irish have machine guns, grenades, and whiskey. They're given whiskey in order to sit there and have a couple whiskeys while they're waiting. Now, again, Roy DeMeo said these guys are crazy and he meant it as a compliment. But the rules were very simple here. Like we said, you have two hours. Otherwise, we open up all hell on this Italian joint and mow down everybody in there. Um, Only problem is the meeting is going extremely well, like extremely. The first thing that the the Gambino uh, crime boss asks them is he goes, hey, uh, this loan shark ours, he got uh, killed in your neighborhood. You guys have anything to do with that? And, uh, you know, friggin' Featherstone and Coon are like, no. And he goes, oh, okay, good. As long as, as long as we wrap that up. He goes, now I want to talk to you guys about coming on. Maybe you guys start working for the Gambino family. You know, you cough up a little bit of your money to us. We let you share in the profits of what we have. We also offer you our protection. So they're striking a business meeting here now. And it's going so well. And Coonan's like, oh, shit, we can get more power at it? Hang on. We might – all right. I don't think we're getting killed here if they're offering us stuff. And, you know, again, the food's pretty good. This is all right. Yeah. And they're having such a good time. Poison food. No, just... <laughs> and it is a David and Goliath kind of a thing here too that these two guys are sitting down with the Gambino family that uh, is far bigger than uh, what they were able to come up with with, they with just their Westies. They would crush them in a war. Yeah. Absolutely. This is a little outfit compared to the organization that is right. the Gambino crime family. 
However, again, David Goliath is a good way to put it too. Uh, they saw crazy and they said, well, we don't want to fight with crazy, but we can use crazy. Right. How about that? And movies, I mean, it's great. You know, the meeting's going very well. I mean, uh, the, the food's good. There's probably a little bit of wine getting sipped around on Cahoons. And oh, shit, didn't I? What did I? Kuna, remind me. What did I? Didn't I have to? Oh, no. Uh... Oh, no. Wait a minute. Yep, Jimmy and Mickey uh, both forgot to call off the dogs. <laughs> oh my and god! As soon as they realize it, Coonan uh, comes running out of the place. Excuse me, gentlemen. I'll be right back. I just have something to attend to real quickly. And pretty much with every step, he's sitting there. He goes, "That that building might explode in a second. There literally could be a van full of my guys just like going full chaos mode. It could turn into the the big gunfight from Heat right now." Okay. And I can't believe this is actually how this plays out. Go, 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 go. So now he gets back to the warehouse where his men are and they're all sitting there because they decided to have one more whiskey before they went in. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yo, that would have been insane. Yep. So uh, as written in, I believe it's the Irish Times, right, Dad? Um, that article says that uh, uh, one one uh, case of whiskey is all that stood between uh, – the Irish mob uh, eliminating the entire Gambino thing. <laughs> wait a minute. So wait, where was this meeting again? At the, the Gemini Club? I don't know if it was at the Gemini. I don't think it was. It was an Italian restaurant owned by uh, the, the Gambinos. No, but if you were invited out to out to dinner by the Gambinos, uh, there was a good chance that you were gonna you were gonna be Gemini'd. Yeah. Okay. To be Gemini'd meant that, you know, that was your <laughs> your last meal, the last supper kind of a thing. So this was a legit business meeting that they were happy about. I'm like, oh, no, we're actually going to talk business here. And he goes, shit, I forgot about the uh, kill squad that I have down the street. Let me uh, – I'll be right back, guys. Do you think and like they laugh about that years after the fact? Be like – Everything about it is written is hilarious. Because I don't care. Like that's fucking funny. Oh, it, without a doubt. Yeah. Now, I will not give you homework ever, Kahuna. Um, no, please don't. Not, not tonight because I know you got a lot going on. All right. Oh, am I going to um, watch the movie? Is that my homework? If, if before I see you on Saturday at the, the release party, if you watch that movie, I, you're going to thank me. And then I think you'll understand my whole attempt in life is to become Gary Oldman from that movie. <laughs> Anytime I see cult classic listed next to it, I'm like, I will be watching that at some point in my life. It's good and uh, it's it's definitely worth watching. And they do a different version of that in the movie. Again, I don't want to ruin anything for anybody. All right, all right. Um, but loyalty is semi-important to these here Westies. And uh, Bakunin has this uh, history of having falling outs with people. They can be quite common. Uh, the loan shark that Kunin had been the enforcer and bodyguard for, uh, Charles Ruby Stein. Mm -hmm. that, that's the guy who literally – he'd been loaning money to Kunin for years to help fund this operation. And now this gang known as the Westies owes him a lot of money. And uh, rather than pay off his uh, loan, uh, Stein's body is found floating in the Hudson. Because unfortunately, one of the men who was doing the butchering here was not as good as Eddie the butcher and forgot to deflate the lungs. The lungs filled up with air and the body floated up to the river. Rookie the mistake. The river. Rookie, Rookie mistake. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Rookie mistake. <laughs> uh, I just pictured uh, like Coonan sitting. He goes, so it's going to be a teachable moment. All right. You, we can do better. OK. Does, <laughs> right, we can right. do better. Just this is what the training's on. for. <laughs> No runs, no hit. Oh, one hit and one error. <laughs> <laughs> All it takes is one mistake to bring down a whole thing. Well, funny you should say that. Um, 
I'm surprised it wasn't. Oh crap! I forgot to let my hit squad know not to blow up the place. I'm sorry. There's nothing that can top that that uh, that absurdity. That is a biggie. It's like uh, I have to put that in something at some point. Like, oh shit! I forgot. I feel like I'm forgetting something. He just called. Did I leave the iron on, or is there a hit squad? <laughs> yeah, really. It's one of these two. Hang on. I let the dog back in. Uh, unfortunately, uh, like we were saying here, uh, Featherstone and Coonan will they're, – they're pretty much in simpatico here in a lot of things here. They find themselves uh, on trial for murder a couple of times. But between Featherstone's mental state, the recanting and disappearing of witnesses and more, uh, the two are becoming more and more established now as powerhouses in the Gambino crime family. Coonan's agreement to work for the Italians now has the Westies – working as a personal hit squad of sorts because there's a new boss in town. Roy DeMeo has passed away and there's a new boss running the thing. And he's got this idea. He goes, I got this pack of mad Irish dogs known as the Westies and I'm going to use them as a personal hit squad. It was the SEAL Team 6 for mafia <laughs> shit. They really were. And the new boss, by the way, that's using them this way, you might have heard of him. His name's John Gotti. So your family, okay, uh, was alive during the time, and, and we talked about it. it it's it's pretty wild. I mentioned because my mom asked this. She goes, "When were they around?" Because when you hear Irish gang, sometimes you think five points. You're thinking, uh, you know, Leo DiCaprio and Daniel Day Lewis. Fight. Dead rabbits. <laughs> nope. This is around the time frame. This, this is uh, this is my father sitting there thinking about proposing to uh, my mom. All right, <laughs> and in the background, is <laughs> absolute chaos. <laughs> well, uh, now. Again, it's working out for them here because that, that continued agreement and again, Gotti's using them in a more aggressive uh, manner here. And Featherstone, he does not like the direction the gang is heading in. When the mentally ill Green Beret guy goes, something doesn't feel right about this. Uh, you should probably listen to him here. And they wind up having a falling out here over this because uh, Featherstone believes that working for them, we're now just a hit squad and also you're betraying uh, all the Irish in the kitchen. Because we're working for the Italians now. We don't we don't call our own shots anymore. We're dogs, okay? So he's not really liking that. And he was right. And this effectively does end the Irish mob as it had been known in New York. Um, and Coonan's attracting more and more attention now from the authorities. A guy by the name of Rudy Giuliani was describing this gang known as the Westies as the most brutal gang in the history of New York. So you're attracting some attention, all right? And the last thing you want with that is attention. John Gotti was able to pull it off, but uh, Jimmy Coonan doesn't look like he's going to be a slick, dapper Don type. I hate when I hear names on American Loser that were just on The Masked Singer. It really kind of bothers <laughs> me in a big way. I don't think I ever want that to happen again. That's so if we can make that happen, please, I, please no more. I promise you I have no idea of anything that happens on that show ever. So if, if it ever happens again, it will guaranteed be on. I don't know anything about that show either. I just know Rudy was on it. And I know we just mentioned him on here, and I don't like it one bit. <laughs> but uh, this this sounds crazy. So basically what ends up happening to the Westies is that they become just a gang full of – A hit squad for the – Full of mad dogs. Right. Because mad dogs you said was a rogue who was just like – who was a so, for hire for the Italian mob? Yeah, call mad dog a gun for hire. So he was just an Irish guy. Was yeah, a he was a gun for hire. Yeah, the but Westies that, are now being absorbed and used as like a for you got something violent. They're yeah, but it's the, a team of mad dogs essentially. It is, but there's more of an organization to it, and and there's okay. a feeling of betrayal because it wasn't always with Mad Dog Sullivan. I would say the top dollar speaks. If sure. you could, mm -hmm. if you had ten more bucks, then he was going to work for you instead of the other guy. Dirty um, Dobbs done yeah. dirt cheap. <laughs> is there like a 
side question. I'm sorry for going off topic. This way. Is there like a respect in that from either side? Like, cause, like I would imagine being in that position, of course you make enemies, obviously, but like, is there a, a weird mutual respect for like, all right, we'll just pay you a little more than the other guys? You know how uh, I would say that there's the um, there's your hired guns, right, um, which have no loyalty. And typically what they do in a movie to try to endear somebody who has those feelings, mm-hmm. they put them in a, uh, a, a situation where they feel empathy or something like that. So uh, Leon, the professional, he's going to help the little girl out, right? Um, there's other ones too, like uh, they always do. And I, I won't say what it is. You'll, you'll notice that when there's a bad character – but then there's a slightly worse character that does something unforgivable. The bad character is almost seen in a redeeming light. So it depends on how you want to spin this. And I got to be careful here about this too because there's uh, – again, we can't really – Some folks who are still here. Yeah. 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 It's wild because Featherstone and Coonan, they, they've seen themselves you know, being accused of crimes before. By the way, uh, uh, Mickey Featherstone was thought to have been the guy who killed uh, Mickey Spillane. But uh, it was proven that he wasn't. So he stood trial and was found not guilty. Um and this agreement, though, with the Italians, as things are going down the road, it's not really the the good old uh, you know days that it used to be here. And uh, again, it's effectively going to end this thing. And there's going to be a falling out over the direction of the gang. It will see Coonan decide to betray Featherstone. So Coonan, whose right hand man was this uh, again insane guy from uh, you know with a Green Beret background, a neighborhood kid that they'd done a lot of crimes together. Um, he decides he's going to betray him, and Coonan will authorize a hit. Okay. But he's going to have it carried out by a guy named Billy Boken. And Billy Boken is not actually going to kill Featherstone, but in a sense, he is. So uh, the hit will go out on someone else, okay? This is a hit being authorized uh, by Coonan, carried out by a guy named Billy Boken, who is told to dress like Mickey Featherstone so that when witnesses report uh, who did the crime, Mickey Featherstone will catch the murder rap. So Featherstone killed Featherstone. <laughs> well, they're making it look like Featherstone is pulling off a, a, a you know murder here, and then Coonan's like, and that way I don't have to pretend you know like it was my thing. I can get off scot free, kind of a thing. So it's a, a smart backdoor move to make it look like Featherstone pulled off this murder. Oh, and by the way, I can get this pain in the ass guy out of my way here too, and then we can move on. But uh, that's not quite how it's going to go down here too, because uh, Featherstone realized that he was betrayed and decided he was going to give authorities and cooperate fully with them, winds up being able to give them recorded conversations that will lead to Jimmy Coonan's arrest. Featherstone would cooperate with the authorities and after serving some time, a little bit occasionally in mental institutions too, by the way, um, where, by the way, they said he was a model patient. and he Someone would, was finally like, let's, uh, let's evaluate that guy. Well, remember, he was in and out of them uh, for a while because of the hallucinations and stuff like that. So he would probably sit there and say, hey, you you just committed assault. You're going away for 30 days into a mental facility where anytime he was there, they would always say that he was like a, a perfect citizen. You know, he would actually yell at people for not uh, cleaning up their areas enough and he could be seen picking lint off of blankets to make sure that everything he's looked nice. I- he's the ideal uh- – I don't want to say prisoner. Uh, prisoner in that situation. There's some Joker the qualities I- to him. He's the ideal patient. Meanwhile, he's still seeing buddies from the war that died 20 years ago. It's uh, I mean, he's at the hallucinations there, and Featherstone, very, very wild, larger than life character too, as is pretty much everybody in the story. Um, but in order to get this lesser sentence, if you will, he has to make sure that what he gives is enough to put Coonan away, mm-hmm. right? And uh, Featherstone co-ops with the authorities after serving some time for these lesser charges. He is released in 1988 
and has been entered into the Witness Protection Agency. We have no idea if he's still alive or not. He's probably still alive. I don't know if they would report that if he did die. Who is still? Mickey Featherstone. Mickey really? Featherstone. Yeah. See? See what happens? So Mickey – That's Fe- fucking strange. Sorry. Because he realized he was betrayed first by Coonan. They had a falling out. Coonan betrays him uh, but does it in a nonchalant way where you can try to make it look like, let me get this guy put away. Kind of like um, – I don't want to use any more examples because we're already diluting the story. Um no, we are not, I, but I hear what you're saying. Yeah. So there's a uh, season two of Sopranos. If you haven't seen it, buy a fucking HBO Max account. What can I tell you? All right. Shit started in 97, I think. Um, end of season two, there's this move that Tony has a guy he's got to get out of his way, but he can't get his hands dirty because he's it's going to upset his power and start a war. So what he does is he gets this guy named Feech Lamana, who he's got, he's got to get him out of the way. So he hires someone out that has- Let me finish. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, this is a problem. We get him into the story. Then he's like, so it's kind of like- yeah. let me do. <laughs> What I, I can't explain the Sopranos part to then- di- That's why I didn't want to dilute anything. But what he does with Feech Lamana is he gets Feech uh, caught with stolen goods. So that then Feech goes away, but the authorities are the bad guy here and not Tony. So that's kind of what Coonan was trying to pull. I'm going to make it look like Featherstone killed this guy and then Featherstone goes away on a murder rap. And then you know he'll be out of my way and I can move on with my day here. But Featherstone's smart enough to know he's being betrayed, winds up giving the cops and the authorities everything they ever needed to take down this gang known as the Westies. And of course, uh, like we said, in return for that as a you know a reward, if you will, he gets to escape with his life, lesser charges, and has entered into the Witness Protection Agency. His name in the Witness Protection Agency? Ming Chen. That's <laughs> <laughs> a plastic. That was such a great fucking joke and setup because I had no idea where you were going with that. Oh, no. I had a little plastic surgery done, but (laughs) – Oh, my god. I can't – again, I don't know. I'm not sure if they – if the Witness Protection Agency would acknowledge when somebody like that dies. I know that there's a lot of info on Henry Hill out there now and everything too, post-Goodfellas world and some Howard Stern interviews and shit too. And I know there's a lot of stuff on um, – what was it? Uh, Who was Johnny Depp in that movie? Uh, uh, Donnie Brasco. There's some talk about – you can actually – Watch interviews of the cop who took down uh, uh, the whole uh, Sunny Red crew and Sunny Black crew, but anyway, uh, he gets released from pr- prison. Like I said, in 1988, enters into witness protection. Jackie Coonan, the younger brother, the one whose entire personality is kind of the the character of Gary Oldman here, considered a very lovable, uh, hard drinking man. Um, he passes away in what I I won't spread rumors on this one. I really won't because it, it appears that he's got kids and a family and stuff like that and. I pulled some of my info off of, of all places, Facebook. So this is all public info that's being shared by people. But suppose, we'll just say that he passed away from the excesses of living in Hell's Kitchen, you know, the nonstop bar life, the potential to purchase illicit substances, behave illicitly. Um, yeah. So I see what you're saying. Yeah, Jackie's uh, Jackie passed away, and uh, Jimmy Coonan, however, uh, the the man who created essentially the Westies, the the young, the once brash eighteen-year-old that fired a full magazine clip at uh, Mickey Spillane for roughing up his pops uh, <laughs> to announce his coming out. Yeah. His cotillion, his, <laughs> his album release party. <laughs> right. Um, he is still alive and is serving out his sixty-year sentence in the Lewisburg Penitentiary. I believe he is currently seventy-five years old, and he has been denied parole at least once, possibly a few more times, due to I think RICO statues. So. Um, 
LP, do you have anything you want to say on the West Dows? We're about to wrap this bad boy up. No, let's, uh, let's close it up here because uh, – Because you're hungry. I know. <laughs> well, yeah, that. And uh, you know, I think we did a pretty good job of uh, bringing in a lot of characters here that uh, you know, can't tell the players without a scorecard here. I got highlights all over the place here. Again, this organization will pull off uh, between 60 to 80 murders in just under 30 years of operation. So that's like – that's two murders a year, folks. If you wanted to get started now, you could also try to match the – that is not a call to violence, all right? My only call to action is to come to the album release party. Folks, the Irish mob that had helped develop Manhattan involve itself in Tammany Hall. By the way, the Irish mob helped bring about the Cotton Club. I don't know if you knew that. That was an Irish mob front. Wait, really? The Irish mob front. Yep. They let, they wanted to bring in the best entertainers and that's where you brought in jazz and everything like that. And it was uh, – I forget the guy's name but it was Irish gangsters that originally owned the place. And it was all – that was their way of laundering money was we're going to have – oh, yeah. It, it's um, the history of all – every – there's so – it's so funny too that we, we were just talking about with uh, corruption in Tammany Hall and creating so many beautiful buildings uh, you know, on the, the Upper West Side. You want to talk about uh, the chaos of uh, you know bosses that have come through you know, uh, New York City and everything like that. Um, the Irish Mob is one of the reasons why one of the most famous jazz clubs in the world that hosted some of the greatest musicians that have ever lived. There's something beautiful coming out of something dark and evil. It's that weird duende we always try to talk about here on the show. It happens quite often. It's quite strange. It's, it's perennial, you know. It's uh, uh, the darkness and the light have to coexist. Um, and it's uh, it's pretty wild though when you look at the history. And you, uh, there was a good term that I heard too: is uh, uh, Black history is American history because uh, at every juncture is like, oh, hey, this this absolutely mammoth moment in American history. Oh, who's involved? <laughs> you know what I mean? So you can't uh, uh, differentiate on that one here. But I will say this, folks: um, that Irish mob essentially did disappear and end when Jimmy and Mickey went away. The Westies now pass into legend mostly after the Coonan War with Spillane. And by the way, if you ever find yourself, Kahuna, on 49th Street in Hell's Kitchen, you can have a pint at Mickey Spillane's Pub. It's called Mickey Spillane's Pub. <laughs> wow, I would have never thought. And it is owned and operated by his son, Michael. Okay? Yeah, his son, Mickey Spillane's son, the man who was killed uh, by Roy DeMeo here, his son – is now the owner and I believe proprietor of uh, this Mickey Spillane's pub. Mickey, so Spillane, cool. Mickey Spillane's Hell's Kitchen. Mickey Spillane's Hell's Kitchen. Um, and by the way, there's everyone knows my record on all this stuff. I have no uh, qualms about any of it. It is a little ironic that um, this is now uh, the Hell's Kitchen that was the tough blue collar working Irish class is now a highly gentrified, extremely high priced rent, uh, probably even higher real estate. Um, very, very progressive LGBTQ-friendly neighborhood. So when you Google Mickey Spillane's pub, uh, it might have been for Pride Month, very well, but there's a picture of just a bunch of rainbows on out front over there. And it makes you laugh, not because there was violence done in that particular bar, but we're talking about a gang called the Westies that would go shoot somebody in the bar that they were going to go hang out at later and would occasionally put severed heads on that. And now there's a rainbow and it's celebrating Pride Month. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, Hell's Kitchen, uh, the real estate agents uh, in Manhattan uh, will often refer to it as Clinton due to one of the parks that are over on the west side there. The Wynn Clinton was an early mayor of New York. And, you know, if you want to, uh, I think I'm going to take up Elmwood residence Park? in Hell's Kitchen. No, well, we like to know, call it 
Clinton, the Clinton area of Manhattan. Are you serious? Uh-huh. That's they're what they're trying to do oh, now? Yeah. They're sure. Trying. Well, Absolutely. It, it, there's, Hell no. That's been going on since um, Pun the, intended. Uh, the 80s and the 90s, oddly enough. That's been going on that long. Uh, and you see that there's when people want to get away from a connotation of violence or something, uh, I think they're calling – I forget what they're calling Southie now up in Boston, but I watched the real estate agent's video. Let me tell you about prosperous up-and-coming South Boston. Did you mean the Southie Projects Boston? Is that what you yeah. just said? But That's like trying to rename the entire city of Newark. Uh, there's been – I'll tell you what. You can't get away with Newark because Newark is iconic. But uh, as a kid who was born in uh, Patterson, New Jersey for myself, you know, I spent a couple of days there at St. Joe's Hospital until it was time to come home to Wayne. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was a town when I grew up known as uh, uh, East Patterson and then there was towns known as West Patterson. And they are now renamed uh, – uh, what's Elmwood it? Park. Elmwood Park. And, and Woodland uh, Park. Woodland Park because you wanted to get away to differentiate yourself from the name Patterson to try to get the real estate values to get back up because Patterson was a no-go zone. <laughs> Fair so, enough. Shit happens with that one, man. But that was the the weird and wild, wild Westies, American Losers. An American loser the day I was born. An American loser the day I was born. Loser the day I was born